But we've been traveling through Matthew, and as we find ourselves in the last week of Jesus' life, as he comes into the city, as Passover is being celebrated, great multitudes are pouring into the city there. And we know that Jesus rides into Jerusalem as we open up the chapter in his what is called the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And the people are waving the palm branches and they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 as we've gone over that, Zechariah 9 telling us that, that he would come lowly riding their Messiah on the back of the foal of a donkey. And the people were making that public proclamation to Jesus of Messiah as they were waving those palm branches, as they were crying out to him that messianic psalm. And then last week, we saw only two verses that looked at it, that Jesus then would go into the temple. He would clear out the animals that were being sold and overturn the money changers' tables. And Jesus would cry out, as we read in verse 13 of the chapter, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Father, I pray that as we once again just begin to look at these verses ahead for us, that there's something there for us that you desire to speak to us. Lord, we thank you, even as we're going to see the children praising Jesus and expressing that praise. I thank you for the time that we had with the children this month during um, the Children's Festival, the Vacation Bible School. And Lord, um, how you touch their hearts and their lives. And Lord, you want to do that even in this place this morning. That as we make application, that as we look at what the house of God was to be about, the characteristics of the house of God, being a house of prayer and other characteristics that we're going to see, may it be true of us here in the day in which we're living in, in this house of God called Calvary Chapel. And may it be true in our lives individually. Lord, help us to just check last minute the, the ringers off our phones. We don't want to be distracted. We want to be attentive to what you want to say to us in the next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So we know that as Passover was instituted back in the book of Exodus chapter 12, 1,500 years before this time, that the worshipers were to bring a Passover lamb to be sacrificed without spot or blemish. And so they set up that system there that they initially it was a good idea of let's provide some lambs and some doves for those who are poor to be able to come who are traveling long distances during the second temple period. We discussed that, how it was the Jews that were dispersed throughout the known world at that time after the Babylonian captivity. So it was hard for them to bring a sacrifice. So what initially was a good idea of having a lamb, having doves provided for them, they can come and purchase that. And also to be able to bring their half a shekel as an offering that they were ripping the people off over time what was a good idea that they took advantage of the people and that's why jesus gave this strong indictment against the religious leaders the priests that were taking advantage of the people we talked about that quite extensively last time and it's important for us to understand as jesus cried out that my house, my father's house, is to be a house of prayer. You made it into a den of thieves. You made it into a safe place where 
people here, the, the priests at that time that are overseeing all of this, are just taking advantage and ripping the people off. So Jesus, in his sorrow and in his righteous anger, he overturns the money changers' tables and he drove out those who sold the animal for sacrifices. It may seem out of character for Jesus, the one who stood on the hillside and said, come learn of me for I'm lowly and gentle and come find rest for your souls. But he was given that strong indictment to them. Uh, and we're going to see another indictment against the nation and the religious leaders as we continue to read. But we are also going to see some of the characteristics that should be about this house of God. First of all, being a house of prayer. But let's pick it up at verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So Jesus is still in the temple proper. Now, Jesus, as you read the Gospels, a lot of you know this, that Jesus never went inside the temple building itself. Only the priests were allowed to go into the temple. That is the direct descendants of Aaron from the tribe of Levi, the priests into the holy place, and then only the high priest behind the veil into the holy of holies. Jesus being from the tribe of Judah, he never went into the temple itself. And the temple proper, that there was large courtyards that were there, the court of the Gentiles, there was the court of the women, there was the inner court where they actually did the sacrifices. It provided a place for the Jews, God's people, to come and to be able to, at the feast, celebrate and to be there and to bring their sacrifices. So when you read that Jesus is at the temple, he would probably be in those courtyards or on the southern steps that they've excavated that, that you can look at and, and actually go to even today. And he's teaching the people. And as he's there, we know that there are those who came to him. It was those who couldn't see, those who couldn't walk. So as we consider this, here is the house of God. Number one, you can write down in your margins or if you take notes, that the house of God is to be a place of prayer. But now with Jesus, this is a place where people are being healed, where they're being helped. And that's what I pray for pray for us here at Calvary, is that this place is a place where people can be helped and where healing has taken place. You see, there are those that we know all around us. They're not believers. They don't see spiritually. There are those who are non-believers that they're not walking with the Lord. But even those who may be Christians that perhaps they're distant from the Lord. Maybe they're involved in sin and carnality. We know that Paul writing to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says that those who are unbelievers, that the God of this age, that is Satan, blinds those who are unbelievers. And we know that uh, if you get involved in sin and carnality and weighed down with worldliness and all of this, and there's a warning that we see that Jesus, he said, don't get weighed down with that. Don't get weighed down even with the cares of life. And we all have cares of life that we're not walking closely with the Lord and, and we're distant from him. And I pray that as people come here, listen, that as they hear the word of God and the love of the Father and, and they have a message of hope, that is the gospel, that there is forgiveness of sin that is provided through the cross of Jesus Christ.
that he rose from the grave and there is a living hope that comes through his resurrection that people can see their eyes are opened up and, and that people who are struggling spiritually that they too that they can receive the word to help them see clearly to walk closely with him those who come to Christ they have a, a new life as Travis was talking about during worship all things become new a new creature in Christ a new spirit a new beginning what a privilege it is, listen, for all of us that we can walk with him and we can walk closely with him, that we can see spiritually. Are you blessed that we can? That we are not in darkness and we're not blinded and, and not walking in the weirdness of the world and the deception of the world? So may this be a place where we proclaim truth and people that they're healed, they're spiritually, they're helped. And, and we know that hype's not going to do that. Entertainment's not going to do that. But may this be a, a house of prayer, a house where God's word is delivered, where healing and help happens, and people will see clearly that is spiritually and walk closely with the Lord. And continuing in verse 15, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You perfected praise. And then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. So Jesus cleansing the temple, he's healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, he's helping those who can't walk to all of a sudden they're able to be walking because they're healed by him. And now the children are crying out to him, Hosanna to the son of David. And the religious leaders, what's their response? Their response is they're indignant, they're very angry at Jesus. Doesn't it intrigue you? Yeah, this might happen to you, and it, it can happen as people look at Calvary Chapel, those of the world, can be very hostile to, towards us. God is working. He's opening eyes. He's, he, he's healing people. He's saving people. People are growing in the Word of God. Marriages are, are being healed, and, and people are being comforted, and God is doing a marvelous, marvelous work, and yet people can look at that. Maybe they're your own family members or co-workers or old friends or people in the community can look at us and they don't like that they get upset and as we continue looking at what Jesus is doing at the temple here may this be a place not only a house of prayer secondly a, a place of help and healing but thirdly that people would see the wonderful things that he is doing here and I think that they are that they're seeing that God is working in this place not that we glorify ourselves that we may glorify him and they know it's different than the world and I know that it's real. And, and as we do, we want to proclaim, as God is working, that the marvelous works that he does. Psalm 105, I go back to this psalm oftentimes and think of it, that give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. And that's what we did in showing the video. And we do it as a testimony to give people encouragement that God is working in this place, and he is, and he wants to continue the work. Talk of his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. We glory in him. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore, and remember his marvelous works which he has done. Always remember the marvelous work that God has done in forgiving you and saving you. And giving you that new heart and that new spirit, that new beginning, that new life. 
and to know that he wants to continue to work in your life. And sometimes we come to a season, we think, Lord, are you working? Lord, are you there? And he is, and he is working. And we want to declare the marvelous works of the Lord. And it brings glory to him, even through the difficulties and the trials that we go through and the losses and the pain. That we can say, thank you, Lord. When I'm weak, you make me strong. And your grace is sufficient. Remember that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Let your life so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And I hope that people can look at you and they can look at me. They can look at this place called Calvary Chapel and see God working in wonderful ways in us and through us. That they would see the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. And keep in mind this, that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, that it is God that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasures. Know that. It is him that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasures. And as we look at these verses, the fourth characteristic that I believe that the Lord would desire for us to have here at Calvary Chapel is that this is a place where praise is expressed. The children are given praise to Jesus. And Jesus would respond to those angry religious leaders who didn't like what they were hearing and, and what the children were saying. As Jesus quotes from Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, that out of the mouths babes, uh, of the babes you have perfected praise. You saw on VBS, one of the, the comments that I got is, as, as the helpers, the, the, even some of the parents that were here during worship time, they were amazed how the kids were just worshiping the Lord. It was such a tremendous blessing to hear that. And may we here have this place be a place where we express praise and worship. It was Jesus that said, the Father is looking for those to worship in spirit and truth. Just in simplicity and in sincerity. It pleases the Lord and he is worthy of our praise. And I hope that we never come into this place where just, you know, uh, worship is just an exercise that we do. Something that we just kind of do before the teaching. No, that we come together with one heart and one accord and one spirit and we're worshiping the Lord. So may these characteristics be evident in this temple, this house of God corporately, but as us individually, because we're called the temple of God. May we be ones that we pray consistently and constantly, having a, a prayer life of going to the Lord, knowing that he wants us to come to him, that we would help others compassionately. Gee, even as we've seen Jesus had compassion to those that he reached out to help them, to encourage them, to care about them. The others see God working in our lives continually, that there's something different about you, you're a new person. You, you do have a new attitude, a new heart. And that where young and old, where the praises of God are in your hearts, and where you're singing psalms and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord every single day. So Jesus, verse 17, he leaves Jerusalem at the end of the day, and he goes back to the Mount of Olives, a little village called Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem, the Gospels tell us, also known as the city of Mary. And no doubt, I believe he's lodging at the place of Mary and Martha, their sisters and their brother Lazarus, the one who was raised from the dead in John chapter 11. And he would stay there. Jesus never stayed the night in Jerusalem. But as we continue in verse 18, now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree weathered away. 
So Jesus, going back to Jerusalem from Bethany early in the morning, and it tells us, Matthew records, that he's hungry. And as we look at this, we think, why again would Jesus curse this fig tree? It seems out of character of Jesus. First, the cleansing of the temple, but we looked at that carefully. And we want to look at this carefully because we're going to have a tendency to, to think or the idea might be given that, well, maybe Jesus got up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe Mary and Martha didn't make him any breakfast. Maybe he's feeling the pressure getting closer to going to the cross. But as we look at this paragraph or these verses here concerning the fig tree, we know that uh, Jesus is making a statement. It's another indictment against the nation. It's one of two miracles recorded in the gospel that are called destructive miracles. First in Matthew chapter 8, when the demons went into the swine and they went down the hill over the cliff. And, and here we see in chapter 21. But it's not given to us and recorded to us just to show us that he can do destructive work. But it's symbolic of what was to come. You see, as we look at this, we know that the fig tree represents the nation of Israel. We know that Jesus here is, is making a statement to them. Uh, you see, as he comes, and we might read it and think, well, it wasn't the season for figs is what, what Mark tells us in this account of the story. Um, so why is Jesus doing this when there's leaves, there's no fruit on it? But here it is, the spring. He is hungry. He saw it. There's leaves, but there's no fruit. The fig trees at this time would have what was called the first ripe figs. Uh, when we've gone to Israel in the springtime in February into March, you can see the fig trees starting to produce this fruit. So he knows that there should be at least some first ripe figs as this tree, you know, is leafed out as it goes through the summer it will produce those fruit that will become ripe, but he sees nothing but leaves here. He knows that the tree will not have any fruit. It's only producing leaves. This fig tree may look like it's a healthy tree, but it's not. So as we look at it, Mark's gospel again tells us that the tree would dry up from the roots. And, and what the lesson is for us is Bible scholars, as I've already mentioned, will tell you that the fig tree symbolically represents the nation of Israel. We know that in Jeremiah chapter 24, if you were with us in our study of Jeremiah, that there was a, a basket of good figs and a basket of, of rotten figs. And, and Jeremiah was given a message of the Lord that because of your disobedience and turning to idols, you're like rotten figs. We know that Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, that the Lord says, I will surely con com consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. The leaves shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. To the house of Israel, that was the ten northern tribes, that even though externally things were going well at the time Hosea is writing that book, but spiritually they were full of idol worship. And the Lord says, I found the first fruits of the fig tree, an abomination like the things that they love, the abomination of idol worship and sin that they were involved in. So he is given a message to an unfruitful Israel that was taking place. Now in Luke chapter 13, in the parable of the fig tree, that the gardener was given time, more time to care for that fig tree that wasn't producing anything. It wasn't producing any fruit. But time had run out. And time had run out. 
Remember in the triumphal entry, Jesus making his entrance into Jerusalem, that he's weeping over the city, as Luke records. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Of course, speaking of the time that would happen some nearly 40 years later when Titus, the Roman general, would surround Jerusalem and he would destroy Jerusalem and the second temple and the Jews would be scattered at that time the time of judgment had come now we know and we'll talk about later that Jesus will talk about the parable of the fig tree that as a sign of the last days we know that there's going to be a national restoration of Israel in the last days we'll talk about that later but right now as he's given this strong indictment he cleansed the temple he said you made my father's house a house of merchandise a den of thieves and then he, now he's saying that this tree here that was very leafy but there's no fruit you see the religious leaders only interested in empty rituals and procedures. Outwardly, they seemed so religious. Inwardly, they were hypocritical, and there was no true relationship with God. And we're going to see in Matthew chapter 23 that Jesus will give a series of woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe to you. They thought they had fruit, but they had rejected the Messiah. You've made my father's house a den of thieves. They thought they were so righteous, but their hearts were corrupt. Oh, there was a lot of leaves. The religious leaders had the long robes. They said their long prayers. They blew the trumpets when they gave. They fasted every week. They had the magnificent temple. They wore the flactories on their foreheads and on their wrists. People were pouring into the holy city to celebrate Passover, but there was no fruit that was being produced. A lot of leaves, a lot of religiousness. And the lesson for you and for me this morning is God doesn't want us just to be leafy, to be religious. He wants us to have true relationship with him and to produce fruit in our lives for him. He wants us, as he comes by our lives, so to speak, does he see fruit being produced? He doesn't want there just to be a lot of leaves. And if there is no fruit in our lives, then it will be no impact to others for the Lord. We're going to see later on in the chapter, he's going to give that parable, the disappointing vineyard, making reference to Isaiah chapter 5. Everything was given to them as a nation for them to produce fruit, but they didn't. All they did is produce thorns and, and, and thistles, is what Jesus would say. And God said, I'm going to take away the hedge and break down the walls. What does the Lord see when he by, comes by this place? A couple of weeks ago, as... as I made a reference to the letters that Jesus wrote in the book of Revelation to those churches, particularly Philadelphia and Laodicea, the faithful church, the lukewarm church. What would Jesus say to us if he wrote a letter to us as a church? To me personally, to you. What does the Lord see when he walks by our life as he hungers for the fruit of your life? The Lord who loves you with all of his heart if he comes by you and finds no fruit in your life that is being produced, then others will not be able to eat from you that is be truly a service and a blessing to others. People are hungry. You know that to be true. They are hungry. We say, I want to serve others. I want to help people. 
I want to see our community change. I want to see our country change. But we cannot be a help to others unless we are producing fruit. Outwardly, we can be all religious. We have lots of leaves. And you've heard me say this before. Religion never saved anyone. And just being religious truly won't help anyone. It's having relationship with him. We can appear, people can say, that person is sure religious. But are they healthy inwardly? Is there fruit being produced for Jesus? So what is fruit, you might ask? Well, Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Sometimes people will come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, is this a Spirit-filled church? And I'll say, what do you mean by that? Well, are you speaking in tongues and all of this? And I say, listen, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Jesus said the words that I speak are spirit and life. I can't think of a more spirit-filled service than to give the words of Jesus and the word of God to you. So it's a lesson for another time. But listen, we need to always remember because Paul said, listen, I want to tell you a, a more excellent way. You can be one that you speak the language of angels, but if you don't have love, you're just a clanging symbol. You can have faith to move mountains. You can give your body as a sacrifice. You can give all. But if you don't have love, it means nothing. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Are we loving others? Love them enough to give them the truth of God's word. To give them the truth of the gospel. To care for others. To have compassion for others. To really have God's love being expressed in our lives to others around us that are linked to us in our lives. Because if we don't have love, it means nothing. And God is still working that in my life, and I pray he continues to work that in the life of this church. In John chapter 4, Romans chapter 1, talks about the fruit of converting souls. Jesus said in John chapter 4, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for the already white for harvest, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Philippians chapter 1 speaks of being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. That is, desiring to live rightly, doing good things which are pleasing to the Lord, living and thinking and doing what he asked us to do, living for him. One of the things that I told the young adults on Friday as they were over at our house, I said, live for Jesus. Because the world is going to try to pull you away to live for the world. Live for him. And the problem can be, because I've talked to people that say, why should I become a Christian? Because my relative or my friend, they said they're a Christian, and they live no different than I do. They're out partying, the way they speak, the things they're involved in. Why should I become a Christian? It's a mixed message. And it isn't that we go around all haughty and look at me and look how spiritual I am, but can they look at us and see the reality of Jesus that we desire to live for him and that we're not walking in darkness, we're not walking in weirdness, we're not talking, you know, that living for the world, but they can see that there's something better, that God's peace is in our hearts and God's comfort and wisdom that we're walking in. It isn't a mixed message. Like I said, living and thinking and doing what he asks us to do as we live for him. 
Romans chapter 15 talks about the fruit of giving financially. Hebrews 13 tells us to offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. So what is fruit? Fruit is loving others. It is serving others. It is living for the Lord. It's doing good things in his name. It's uh, giving honor and glory to him in our lives. So how do we produce fruit? You know, John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Without him we can do nothing. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. So you continue to abide in him, in his word, in his love, John chapter 15. Stay close to the shepherd. Stay connected to him. That's what the word abide means. It means to, to stay in a given place. You remain there. Some of you have fruit trees in your yard and it's starting to produce fruit if the branch breaks off then it's not going to produce fruit I remember one time when we had a plum tree in my backyard and one of the kids when they were small had a branch of the plum tree that had a little plums on it they put it in their room and I said what is this doing here and they said well we want to see you know the plums grow during the during the summer and I explained to them good object lesson that it cannot unless it's connected to the tree the trunk of the tree stay connected to him stay close to him you cannot produce fruit out of your own energies and efforts and striving and struggling it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts and what has begun in the spirit listen I pray we never try to perfect in the flesh here at Calvary Chapel You abide, you rest, you stay close to him. The religious leaders of Israel, they had a lot of leaves, but no fruit. But one more point I'd like to make before we go to prayer. Mark's gospel, as I said, said the fig tree, when it withered away, that the tree dried up from the root. I think that most of us, if not all of us, that we can say that we've gone through a period of time, sometime in our lives, where we feel spiritually dry. Have you ever felt that way? I'll be honest. There's been times where I have. I just feel dry, Lord. It might be because of difficulties or because of challenges or because of hurt or just feeling dry because of busyness. And whenever I feel like withering away spiritually, I've realized something, that I'm beginning to dry up from the roots. And we know that the root is the part of the tree that absorbs nutrients and waters to keep the tree alive and healthy. It's part of the tree that no one sees. And whenever you feel like that you are dry, that you need to give your heart and present your heart to the Lord. And usually what's going on is we're missing morning devotions. We're not praying. We're no longer interested in the Word of God. It may be just the cares of life that take us away from that. And we feel dry spiritually. But the Lord desires for you, even if you're going through difficulties, a temptation to pull away from the Lord when it's the time that we're to be drawn close to the Lord. It's a temptation to to not be reading the Word when the Word is to bring comfort to us and speak to our hearts and to our souls. So if you're going through a dry season, water your heart with the water of the word Ephesians chapter 5 and you get back and you take a walk take your Bible take a pen and a you know a tablet a journal and spend some time with the Lord and say Lord I need to hear from you and my heart is dry right now 
And I need to be refreshed and renewed in you. And you're going to see that God's going to honor that and he's going to bless you for that. And your heart's going to be refreshed. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these verses here to encourage us and to bless us. We want to be a church. We want to be an individual that fruit is being produced in our lives. But we know it comes by abiding in you, Lord. And I thank you that, Lord, the work that you desire to do in our lives as we abide in you is to produce fruit. It's not of our own energies and flesh and tendencies, but, Lord, a work of the Spirit. So I pray that you would do that in us individually and in this place corporately. And, Father, may this be a place where people are helped and healed, where people see the works of God and marvel at what you are doing, great things, and that you are glorified, where praise is expressed. And I want to pray for anyone who's here that maybe you've never given your life truly to the Lord. Maybe you've been religious, maybe you've gone to church, but you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. He died for your sins on the cross. He rose again, and he says to you, come, give your life and your heart to me. He provided forgiveness of sin. He brings eternal life and reconciliation with the Father. But you come to have a personal relationship with him, to be forgiven. Today is the day of salvation. You can do that sincerely in your heart right now, praying, Jesus, I come, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me on that cross that you rose again to give me a living hope. I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and for your love for me, your provision for me. And Lord, I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. I want to know you and walk with you and clearly see spiritually all the days of my life as I just grow in your grace. And Father, for all of us, that we desire to, Lord, to produce fruit in our lives, fruit that will remain as we abide in you. Bless everyone here as we go our way, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?